you're always distracted by that next glass or when you're going to have a drink. And when that goes away, you can focus on so many other things in your life. You can take up knitting and art and mosaicing and walking with your kids at the oddest times. Instead of waiting for the five o'clock ding-dong wine glass, you can be outside bird watching or making something in the garden or you know you, you completely open up your life from a, a squished focus onto something that you don't need for your body to something that's creative and sort of boosting for yourself as a person welcome to the tribe this is your weekly podcast from tribe sober whether you're already sober striving to be sober or just plain sober curious You need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast. My name is Janet Gorond. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Would you believe it? We're already at the end of series two. This is episode 10, series two. We like to have a theme for each series. Now, the theme for Series 2 has been the advantage of taking a break from alcohol. And we hope that we've demonstrated those advantages by sharing a few inspirational stories with you and some facts about how we become dependent on alcohol. We've already got more than 200 people at the moment taking a break from alcohol as they do our Sober Spring Challenge. Today's interview is with Janice. She came along to our second workshop back in 2016 and she's been clocking up the sober time ever since. Like me, she hit her five-year soberversary this year. So I began by asking Janice to tell us a bit about herself. Yeah, so I'm Janice. I live in um, Pishook area, Glen Cairn, and I've got two boys. Um, Jean is turning 10 next week and Jordan's turning 13 in November. And then my husband, Leon, is um, a ecologist. He works for Conservation International. So that's good. We've all got work. I work for a little school called Earth School, which is a sort of online school. And we meet up and do eco training. So I do the website and I take the kids once a week and we try and do something outdoors to do with the environment. So let's go back a few years, Janice. Tell me when you first started worrying about your relationship with alcohol and thinking that things need to change. Gosh, well, I am now 51. So when I was in my sort of middle, late 40s, I realized that things were changing because my hormones were changing fast and I realized the alcohol was clashing with my perimenopause. And even though I thought I was drinking the same that I'd always had drinks since I was married, which was like a few wine glasses every night or taking breaks and having some in the weekends and some in the week, I realized that my reaction to the alcohol was changing. And um, I seemed to be forgetting things and falling asleep on the couch and 
not coping with the alcohol. Maybe getting a bit argumentative as well. And my boys were very young then, so it was a problem. Okay. And during those years, did you try to stop for periods? Did you um, do dry January and things like that? Uh, I was uh, always yeah. I was always stopping starting. And I'm one of those healthy people. I love to be fit. I do yoga and walks. And so what I would do is I would say, okay, I've had too much alcohol. I'm going to take a week off and I'm going to get fit and healthy. Then I would do that. And then I would feel so good that I would you know reward myself with some wine and sometimes it was a week sometimes it was three weeks once I even stopped for eight months I was so proud of myself but I was very resentful and angry with everybody else drinking and so I just decided to go back to the wine and that also brought me down to earth because I realized that I went straight back to where I'd stopped you know I didn't actually backtrack and start again uh, carried on from where I'd left off. Yeah, yeah, that's how it works, isn't it? And I often say to people, it's it's a bit crazy if you're eating healthy, exercising, doing yoga, eating organic, gluten free, and then you drink a bottle of wine every evening. Exactly, it just almost cancels out all your hard work. It does, and then people think they they allowed that wine because they're healthy. So I remember when you came to the workshop. Was it my first one or the second? Second one. one. Second one, back in 2015, or maybe it was the very beginning of 2016. And you were already sober when you came along. So tell me how that worked. I think you were a couple of months sober. What made you decide? Well, it's interesting because when I was, I stopped for eight months and I started again and I could see my wine picking up. And I saw an article about you in the Business Times, the Sunday Times. Janet Goran, the wine, the lady who's got the new world without wine. So I actually kept that article. I slipped it away. And then um, that December 2015, I think it was, I went away with my in-laws and my family to the south coast in KwaZulu-Natal, and I had too much wine on Christmas Day, and I actually sort of blacked out and fell asleep on the couch, and I don't remember the last few hours of that day. And when I woke up, my husband said to me, you have a problem. So then I realized, okay, I have to stop today. And that was Boxing Day. So I stopped cold turkey and your workshop was that January, the next year. This was only literally a few weeks down the line. So I signed up because I knew, like I'm one of those people who act fast. I'm doing this. I'm going to do it now. I'm going to do it properly. And I signed up. Yeah, those first few weeks were terrible being sober and being in shock because of what had happened at the coast. Yeah, and that was, I think it was 2016 then. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. Yeah, I I often think it's a good strategy to come along to a workshop with a few weeks of sobriety under your belt because you've you've dipped your toe in the water, haven't you? And you know it's quite tough. Mm. And that's when you realize that maybe you need to connect with other people so you don't think that you're the only one with this problem. Exactly. I mean, when I got to the workshop, it was just so good to speak to people just like me who were exactly in the same boat. So tell me what happened after the workshop. Okay, so I went home. I had that lovely manual you gave us to work through. And, yeah, it was a very daunting time, but you feel better because you feel like you've got support and I remember making friends with Marissa there and a few other people that I could speak to on WhatsApp and online. 
and I joined the WhatsApp group and I think I read a lot of articles, um, not books. I read articles. I went online. I looked through stuff. I stuck to World Without Wine. And it really helped because you go onto those Facebook groups and you talk and you share. And, yeah, I just definitely went into this health mode again. I did more yoga, more walking, more sort of vegetarian eating and stuff. And I just got myself together and I decided that, you know, when we are drinkers, we those kind of people who all or nothing. So I decided I have to be all out healthy now and I have to just go forward. And then I, I drank lots of coffee in those days. I still do, but I've learned how to moderate the coffee a little bit, yeah. So how long have you been alcohol-free now? I'm just behind you, so I think it's five years. Is that right? Yeah. And and how do you feel? I feel good. I mean, everything's cleared up. I can feel definitely, you know, your. I, I remember when I stopped, my liver must have had a problem because I went to a friend for a massage and she said, oh, I'm going to work on your liver now. I can see something there. So um, I cleaned up my liver. I can feel completely renewed I mean I must say I've got so much energy I'm wired all the time I love moving and my skin and everything's clear um my mind I go through phases I'm quite a melancholy person I think it's because I'm in my 50s and I'm hit menopause now but I think being sober really helps with that because I take all my vitamins and my oils and I try. I took CBD oil for a long time, but now I've run out of money. It's so expensive, but that helps a lot with your moods and your keeping level. Like you don't feel melancholy. Yeah. So I just have to battle with that feeling that comes and goes. Um, so I try and do it with exercise, CBD, or uh, what's that stuff? Magnesium attack. And exercise is great for releasing the endorphins, isn't it's, it? Yeah. A much better way than a chemical high that just fades so quickly anyway. Yes. Um, so what do you drink instead of alcohol? I seem mm. to remember you making kombucha. <laughs> I still make it. You still do that? Yes, I went through a phase of that, drinking a lot of it, and then I took a break from it because you get quite bloated if you stick to it. But it really is delicious. It really works. I tried all the alcohol-free beers, and I found I had a few of my favorites, like the Erdinger and the German ones are good. And if you read the label, they've actually got things we need in them, vitamin B12. and But I've stopped that now. I've, I got bored. I used to drink the Duchess as well. Um, I got bored with all the alcohol-free drinks, and so now I just drink coffee, tea, rooibos, and herbal teas. I don't drink salon tea. And that's all I need. I mean, if I go to a friend's house at a bar, I will just have sparkling water and tea and it's easy. I don't feel bad. They don't feel bad. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm at that place as well. I think after our friends see that we're kind of serious about this and, you know, they might tease us for a bit to start with, but they soon get bored with it and then they just, they accept that uh, this is what we want to do and it's none of their business. That's right. It it is. Because I think some people don't want to invite you because they think you're going to be uncomfortable or dull or something. And then once they've realized you're fine, that's okay. Did it have any effect on your relationships, you know, with your husband or your kids or your friends? Well, I think you you become more aware of people, people's feelings and things, especially, well, with my children, it's much more, in, you know, much better, definitely, because, I mean, they were small in those days, and I think I was just sidetracked a lot. 
but now I'm focused and with friends, the best part about the friends is that I've got sober friends now. So what I did was I started a group here in Glen Ken um, of sober buddies and we meet often. I mean, Laura and I and Denise meet every week. We walk, we have coffee and that's a life save. I love it because we're all similar. I still need to find that place again where I'm connecting. Even with family, I don't connect. I just retreat because they, they yeah, know too yeah. much and they're very critical. Oh, wasn't there alcoholism in your family? Was it yes. um, your mum you mentioned? Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's it's quite tough because if she's still drinking and you're not, that will, will spoil the connection. Yes. But, yeah, I mean, the, I think in the early days, the really early days, it helps to maybe retreat a little bit because um, you don't need to make it particularly hard on yourself. Mm-hmm. Just do your own thing, focus on yourself. But gradually, as you feel more confident, you need to, to start connecting again and uh, and find out what gives you a natural high. And you, you've got your ex- exercise and you've got your sober buddies there. So yes. I wouldn't say you're totally disconnected. Yes, yes. I find women's <laughs> company very important right now. Me too. Yeah. It's strange that, isn't it? I think as we get older, I mean, our community is really flourishing these days and we're we're nearly all ladies, but there's a few, a few brave guys uh, we set up a whatsapp group for the men actually because we were missing quite a few at a time. <laughs> really? but it's funny you know yeah if i look at my phone i look at the the you know the members group the women's group and if i haven't looked at it for a few hours there might be a hundred messages on there and then i look at the men's group there's like <laughs> two <laughs> that's so funny yeah we share a lot so definitely not chassis as well yeah. yeah yeah we just love sharing but I think there's such a power in in sharing our stories because um that's you know even yeah so when I started doing workshops on zoom for obvious reasons uh, I was very apprehensive because I thought well how are people going to share their stories because at the workshops you know people are always very open some of them cry a bit you know they put their arms around each mm. other it's really powerful and I thought how are people going to do that online mm. But amazingly, they do. Yeah. You know, and we even had a lady at the last workshop and she was crying. And somebody, you know, on Zoom, you can uh, hand someone a box of tissue. Oh, really? I didn't know that. So people do connect. Mm. You know, I, I wouldn't say it's exactly the same, but it's it's very close, you know, and it's all we can do at the moment. So, um, yeah, the connection thing is huge. Yeah. What do they say? Connection is the opposite of addiction. Well, exactly, yeah. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. So if um, you were trying to convince someone that it would be a good idea for them to drink less or not at all, what, what would you say to them? What, what benefits uh, would you say might be waiting for them? Uh, well, I always talk about your health of your body, your organs and your quality of life. And I would definitely say, you know, your distractions from the alcohol are big, you know, and if you, you're always distracted by that next glass or when you're going to have a drink and when that goes away, you can focus on so many other things in your life. You can take up knitting and art and mosaicing and walking with your kids at the oddest times instead of waiting for the five o'clock ding-dong wine glass. You can be outside 
bird watching or making something in the garden or, you know, you, you completely open up your life from a, a squished focus onto something that you don't need for your body to something that's creative and sort of boosting for yourself as a person. Yeah, and the lovely thing is we, we get real pleasure from all of those things, whereas when we're drinking, all we care about is the alcohol. We're not really interested in being creative or even going for walks on the beach at five o'clock. We just want to get into our wine. That's right. So when we manage to free ourselves from that that constraints, it's, uh, and, and it takes time. You know, for, personally, it took me a, a good few months before I could enjoy non-alcoholic events and things yeah but it, you will get there if, if you persevere because our world yeah. shrinks when we drink too much our world shrinks it really does it's, it's all always i mean when when i was growing up my mother because she's a drinker she didn't want to go anywhere you know my dad was the one who traveled and worked in the garden and did all the socializing she wanted to be at home next to her five liter and so we had everyone coming to our house all the time. All her friends came to us. She never went to them. She was terrified to go out, to go away from her routine. Interesting. Yeah, yeah that's a typical example of the shrinking world. Isn't yes. It? So, so as you and I both discovered when we embarked on this journey, uh, alcohol is the only drug we have to justify not taking Alcohol has become so normalized in, in our society, it, it's incredible. And, and here in South Africa, the, uh, the damage that alcohol does has been highlighted by the lockdown, hasn't it? Do you remember when they, uh, they banned alcohol and the hospitals emptied? Yes. And then they were able to look after the COVID patients. That's right. 170 people a day die, 3 million a year die in globally from alcohol-related diseases. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on uh, how pervasive alcohol is in, in the world? Do you think it will ever improve or is it just going to get worse? Sure, it's a difficult one. It really drives me mad that alcohol is so pervasive, but there's so much power in money and, you know, the alcohol companies, anyone who makes alcohol from the people who, who have the ethanol or whatever that stuff is, to the companies that make the beer and the wine and the spirits, they've got so much power over the governments. I mean, without alcohol, as we know, the country plummeted into economic collapse because it brings in so much cash for the government or the tax or whatever. And there's, that's the hold, I think, is the money side is it's such a popular drink. It's such a popular um, substance that it keeps – you know, the coffers full and how are we ever going to get around that? And everything's associated with alcohol because of the advertising, which goes back to making money. I think it's a terrible situation. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. No, I mean, the liquor industry piles so much money into marketing, don't they? Because they know that they'll get that money back, you know, a hundred times because we'll be convinced that alcohol is glamorous. You know, there are a few uh, positive signs in that. Uh, in the UK, for example, 20% 20, 20 of um, young people don't drink anymore. You know, they. Are, I'm not saying they don't have the odd spliff or something. Yes. Maybe they're on the CBD oil, yes. but they're not drinking alcohol. Mm. You know, they look at their parents and they think, oh, you know, I don't want to go that route. So that's quite interesting. That is. It's good. And uh, 
I don't know if you heard my interview with Johannes that I did on a podcast from the Duchess the other day, but he uh, was explaining because AB InBev have bought into the Duchess, they, oh. they own some shares, and uh, they've got a director of alcohol-free drinks, and this director has been told that he'll be in charge of 25% of the turnover of the entire company in, by, in five years' time. You wow. know, all the companies are really... The liquor mm. industry is piling money into researching and developing nice drinks. And if you remember when you and I embarked on this journey, there was it nothing was, really. Yes, there was nothing. Yeah. But now, you know, there's. Do you remember there was a mindful drinking festival last October? Yeah, we and I was at that, and there were, there were at least fifty choices there. Weren't yes, there? it was so great. It's a, yeah, it's a massive industry, so I think that's hopeful and that it will gradually become more acceptable <laughs> not to drink. Yes, it's hope, because it will help a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it will. It'll help Because I think a lot of people, I mean, I, I, I might have been one of them at some point, they get trapped in the drinking because they think, well, what are my friends going to say, you know? And, and if I do say I'm stopping drinking, they'll all say, oh, do you have a problem then? And, you know, people like us, we don't want that mm. kind of spotlight on no. So, uh, So I think a lot of people stay trapped because uh, and not only um, are they worried about what people say, but they don't actually know how to do it. I mean, my, my conscious mind was telling me for years that I had to give up drinking, but my subconscious mind was saying things like, oh, but, you know, what will my friends say? What will I do in the evening? How will I cope with my stress, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. And it was only when, you know, I went to that workshop in London that I just I got some tools and I discovered how to do it. Yeah. So I think, you know, that's what we're about. We're trying to show people how to do it. And also connecting them with other people on the same path, yeah. which is the the biggest thing. I, th- I suppose it's like any um, psychological problem. You go to a therapist, you get tools, you get help, and people don't really consider that they need to do it. But if you're drinking, you can do the same. You can say, okay, I've got this problem. It's not depression, but it's drinking, and you can go and get help. Every Saturday afternoon, we open up our Tribe Sober Zoom Cafe. It's a safe space where our members can connect, check in, and just shoot the breeze about alcohol-free living. If you'd like to be a guest at the cafe one Saturday, just drop us an email at janet at tribesober.com. That's janet, J-A-N-E-T, at tribesober.com, and we'll send you an invitation. Yeah, and, and talking of therapy, a, a lot of people go to therapists for their anxiety. Mm. And in fact, if they would just stop drinking, you know, their anxiety will, would recede drastically. But often therapists don't even talk to people about their drinking. You know, they focus more on, on other aspects. Yes, exactly. So I think that's about it for my questions. Anything else you'd like to add, Janet? Yeah, so I just hope that more and more people realize the dangers of alcohol and, you know, that if you overdo anything in life, you will hurt yourself. Thank you so much, Janice. It was great to catch up with you again after quite a while. And it's lovely to hear that you're still reaping benefits from your alcohol-free lifestyle. I always say it's the gift that keeps on giving. Just three points from that conversation. 
Janice explained that she'd actually had a long break. She'd had eight months without alcohol. And as usual, she thought, oh, well, you know, maybe I can can moderate a little bit now. But she was horrified to discover that within weeks she was drinking excessively again. And that just proves yet again that once you've crossed a line with your drinking, there's no going back. You just need to stop drinking, create an alcohol-free lifestyle and make that a good lifestyle. The second point I wanted to make is that Janice came along to the workshop with a few weeks of sobriety already under her belt. It's always a good idea to do this. It was as if she dipped her toe into the water. She knew what triggers she had. She knew what difficulties she was going to face. So if you do a few weeks sober, keep a journal, bring the journal to the workshop, and then we can help you overcome those those difficulties and give you some strategies for coping with the triggers. And the third thing we talked about is something that we have in common. We both get so much pleasure these days out of very ordinary things. A walk on the beach, a good book, time with the kids, etc. But it's taken us both a good few months to get there. We talked about how the world kind of shrinks when you drink heavily to such an extent that the only thing that interests you are alcohol-related activities. Janice talked about her mum, who rarely left the house, as she wanted to stay close to the wine supply. The thing is, if your body's been relying on alcohol for years to make you feel good, it will have gotten a bit lazy. It won't be producing dopamine naturally anymore. It relies on those chemical highs that you get from alcohol. So when you stop drinking you very likely feel very flat for a while because your natural dopamine hasn't come back into play. So again, we always say just be patient and gradually you'll find yourself enjoying just everyday pleasures. You know, we shouldn't have to only enjoy the pleasures from alcohol. There's so many other things to enjoy in life. So this was the last episode in series two. We're going to take a very short break now, only two weeks, so we're hoping you won't forget us in that time. And then we'll be back with series three, which is called The Experts. We'll still be featuring recovery stories, which I see as the the heart of this podcast, but I'll also be interviewing some experts. So in the lineup, we've got a British psychiatrist who specialises in helping older drinkers... We've got a Mauritian biochemist who's been involved in developing a test which identifies alcohol-related damage. We've got a British journalist who's written a book about alcohol and also a South African professor who's working with our government to change some of the alcohol-related laws in South Africa. So that's just a few of the fabulous guests that we've got for Series 3. So thank you for all the listens and please come back to us in just two weeks' time. Thank you so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe and share. Till next time. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.